Welcome to the Crossing Church Podcast. This week we begin a new series titled, Is It Finished? with a message, Are We Really That Bad? We hope you enjoy this weekend's message. Hello, hello, welcome to the Crossing Church. Can you keep that applause going as welcome our South Shore campus tuning in live right now, Plant City campus, and everyone watching online and around the world. We're so glad you joined us today and we're so glad you're here at our Tampa campus as well. Well, as always, it's an honor to teach on this platform, and I thank our lead pastors, Pastor Greg, Pastor Tamara, for that. Can you show them your appreciation as well? We love you. Thank you so much. So today we begin a new series. It's going to bring us all the way to Good Friday and Resurrection Weekend called Is It Finished? And I want to encourage you, start now thinking, who am I going to invite that weekend? You know, Christmas and Easter, you know, you know, as Christers or Christmas and Easter only, you know, it's a time of year where those who don't maybe usually come to church are likely to come. And it's largely dependent on your invitation. Statistics show that when someone is invited personally, there's a greater chance that they will come. And so I encourage you, bring them to Good Friday, to Easter. There's going to be incredible services happening all that weekend. So to kick off this series, I thought we could talk about something real light, real breezy, something everyone really loves to hear about, which is sin. (laughs) And we're not going to go into individual sins or anything like that, but I think we need to understand what is sin. Where did it come from and why do we need to deal with it? And so we're going to go all the way back to the very beginning to understand it. You know, secular culture today would have you believe that sin isn't really a thing. Sin doesn't really exist. It's not something that you struggle with. You don't need to deal with it and you don't need forgiveness for it. There's an article from Pathios recently and the headline was this, why sin is a false and morally and biologically backward concept. Just the concept of sin is somehow backwards. So let's examine this. Let's examine the idea of sin and where it came from. If you have your Bibles, if you have your devices using the Bible app, I encourage you to turn to the book of Genesis. We're going to be hanging out there a little bit today. And Genesis chapter 4 is where we'll begin. Genesis chapter 4 is the story of Cain and Abel. The children of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, are preparing to worship God with an offering. They're bringing their offering or sacrifice to God. But their efforts in preparing this offering are not equal, and we'll see that in a moment. So Genesis chapter 4, starting with verse 3. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. See, he presented some. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock. Notice the difference there. Cain presented some, Abel presented the first the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious and he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious? And why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? And if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. In this moment, God is highlighting the choice in front of Cain. He can choose to do what is right. He can make things right, or he can choose to let sin that is crouching at the door overtake him. But God makes it clear that he can rule over it if he chooses. But in the next verse, we see Cain's choice. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. Turn to one of your neighbors and say, stay out of the field. 
Nothing good comes in the field. Just stay out of the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? God giving him again another chance to come clean, to repent. But Cain continues to allow sin to rule over him. And he says, I don't know, Cain replied. Am I my brother's guardian? While the first sin occurred in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve partaking the fruit, the next major sin event was this, Cain committing murder. As Will Ferrell might say, that escalated quickly. But from this event, we see the first idea of sin being an active predator. Sin crouching at the door. Crouching at the door of our heart, ready to overtake us and control us. And if we are not intentional to resist sin, it will overtake us. And so if you're taking notes for today, I encourage you to do the title for today's message is this. Are we really that bad? Are we really that bad? Let's pray. God, thank you for your presence at all of our campuses and with everyone watching online. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you speak to us now. I pray you speak through me in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Have you ever heard someone say, I'm a good person? I'm a pretty good person. I don't think I need to really be forgiven of much. It's not like I've killed anybody. It's a pretty low bar if we're honest, but sure. But that idea that we're just a pretty good person, it comes from this presupposition that we're inherently good, that if you just leave human beings to their own devices, that we'll always be altruistic, we'll always be good, we'll always do what's best for other people. That's our nature. And if we accept that idea, which is false, but we'll get to that, if we accept that idea that we are just good by nature, then the next step is to believe that maybe we really don't have anything to be sorry for. Maybe we haven't really done anything that needs forgiveness. Forgiveness from what? And if you haven't done anything that bad and you feel like you don't need forgiveness, it becomes very difficult to understand the gospel, why the gospel is good news. If we don't understand the fundamental issue of sin and the human condition, then we will see no need for the saving grace of Jesus Christ. This is why it's so important we understand this. As Charles Spurgeon says, as the salt flavors every drop in the Atlantic, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. It is so sadly there, so abundantly there, that if you cannot detect it, you are deceived. If you need evidence for the scourge of sin on the world today, look no further than children. That's half of a joke. I have three kids. They're wonderful. But in a recent study by Kang Lee, he did a TED Talk, he's a developmental researcher, and he found that kids can lie as early as age two. They can lie as early as age two, and given the right motivation, say a reward, kids ages five and older will lie almost 100% of the time. Some of your parents out there saying they lie 110% of the time, I know what you're saying. 100% of the time. It's interesting that lying gets more prevalent as kids get older. It's actually considered a developmental stage by psychologists, but the reason why they do it more is because they actually get better at it as they get older. As a child develops, they can read another person's reactions better. They have more information about the world around them, and they have greater self-control to hide when they are lying. Maybe you've heard of a scenario like this. A school teacher calls one morning 
or a school teacher receives a call one morning and the caller says, Mr. Robles, my son Johnny can't come to school today because he is sick. The teacher asks, who am I speaking to? And the caller says, I am my father. <laughs> so the child hadn't developed enough to know the difference there. But despite any lack of training or handbooks, I don't recall giving a class to my children on how to lie, but they have an innate ability to do it. But we're not just going to pick on kids today because we all have an innate penchant and ability to sin. So what actually is sin? Let's define it. Number one, what is sin? The Bible uses several words to describe sin throughout the Old and New Testament. And in some instances, you'll see it described as iniquity. Some you'll see it as transgression or trespass. And sometimes it's just stated as plain old sin. This illustration is from the Bible Project. I highly recommend uh, checking out them as a resource. But that first word, iniquity, it comes from the Hebrew word avon. We're going to learn some Hebrew and Greek today. So everybody say avon. avon. And the Greek is translated anomia. Say anomia. And the word iniquity literally means in the Hebrew and Greek crooked or bent that something is crooked or bent. You might have seen roads like this in the mountains of North Carolina. I've seen these throughout the mountains. So just seeing that, some of you are like, mm, you know. But what happens if you drive on that road too long and too fast? You get sick, right? It means crooked or bent. Like in Jeremiah 3.21, a sound is heard on the barren heights, the children of Israel weeping and begging for mercy, for they have perverted avon their way. Their way is bent. They have forgotten the Lord, their God. Or in Isaiah 59, 12, it says, For our transgressions have multiplied before you. Our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities of own. Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands far off. For truth has stumbled in the public square, and honesty cannot enter. It's an interesting meaning. Iniquities meaning bent or crooked. And this verse in Isaiah is saying it is so crooked, truth cannot even enter the public square. I believe that's a picture of today's culture as well, where truth has become so twisted it cannot even enter. That verse also uses the word transgression. The word transgression, when you see it in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew is pesha. Everybody say pesha. And if you see it in the New Testament, it's translated from the Greek word paraptoma. Say paraptoma. That's a fun word to say. It's a fun word. If you're Hispanic, you can even roll the R a little bit if you want to. Paraptoma. I'm Puerto Rican. I can roll my R's. Come on, somebody. <laughs> but those words mean rebellion or to violate trust. You could think of it as a broken promise, a betrayal, a breach of contract if it was a business transaction. It's like someone stabbing you in the back. A paraptoma is a betrayal. It's used in Romans 4.25. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions, our paraptoma, Betrayal was raised because of our justification. And 2 Corinthians 5, 19, it says, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their betrayals, their paraptoma, their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. When the apostle Paul describes the Garden of Eden and Adam partaking of the fruit, he uses the word paraptoma because it was a betrayal, a betrayal of Adam betraying God and breaking that trust. But the final word for sin, I think, is the most interesting. 
It's translated from just the word sin. So whenever you see sin in the Bible, it comes from the Hebrew word chata. Everyone say chata. Some of you like that more than others. Chata. Or the Greek word in the New Testament, hamartia. Say hamartia. And this one's so interesting because it doesn't actually have a spiritual meaning. The meaning of hata or hamartia means to miss the target, to miss the target or to miss the mark. If you imagine like a bow and arrow, someone aiming at a bullseye, hata means to miss the mark, to miss the target. To sin means to not hit the target, hata. We actually see it used in that way in Judges 2016. It says there were 700 men who were left-handed among all these people. All could sling a stone at a hair and not hata, not miss. But hata is the word used for sin in our opening story with Cain and Abel. Cain missed the mark. And we see it in Genesis 4-7. If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? Accepted. But if you do not do what is right, sin, chata, is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. This picture of sin, I think, crouching at the door is so powerful. It highlights our inherent temptation, our bent as human beings to mistreat one another. That chata is always there waiting And if we are not careful, it will overtake us. And so what is it when we sin against God or sin against each other? Well, Genesis 1.27 says God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God, male and female. And Jesus says the greatest commandments are these, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And you see, we have that inbuilt desire to act in our own best interests all the time. And when we miss the mark, it's because we have either betrayed God's trust or betrayed each other's trust. That's why when you look at the Ten Commandments, it's broken down five and five. Five in how we are to honor God, honor the Sabbath, no idols before him, don't take his name in vain. And the other five of the Ten Commandments are to honor each other. Do not lie, steal, commit murder, adultery. And so when we miss the mark, it's because we've missed one of those commandments. Either we haven't honored God or we haven't honored each other. We had given into hata. But now comes the difficult question. If God created everything in the universe, didn't God create sin? If God created everything, then where did sin come from? That brings me to my second point. God did not create sin. Any questions? Shall we move on? I'll go into a little more detail. No, God did not create sin. Let's go to Genesis 1. I'm going to paraphrase some of these verses, but this is the creation account. And as we go through the creation account, I'm going to be jumping around to different verses, but it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. God saw the light and it was what? Good. God called the dry land earth. He called the gathering of water seas and God saw that it was what? Good. Seed bearing plants according to their kinds and trees. God saw that it was good. God created large sea creatures, every living creature that moves and swims and God saw that it was good. God saw all that he had made and he said that it was very good. So throughout all of the creation account, God creates good good, everything, and at the end he stands back and says it is all very good. Now we know God will not call sin good, so where did it come from? 
I want to remind you the definition that we have. Sin, hata, means to miss the mark. To miss the mark. Did God create sin? No. God created a target for what is good and what is sacred. And in creating a target, there was then an opportunity to miss. God did not create sin. He created the target. Watch this. God created the target for work. Genesis 2, 15 through 17 says the Lord God took man, placed him in the garden and to work and watch over it. A lot of us would like to pass over this, but work was actually created before sin came into the world. Work is not a relation to sin in the fall of man. Work can actually be a good thing. It was part of the target that God designed. But then God went on to say this, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat of it, you will certainly die. Right then, God created a target. God didn't create sin itself, but if that's true, then why did he even make that tree? Couldn't he have, like, skipped that day? Maybe create chainsaws the same day and just tell Adam to cut it down? Why did it have to be there? While he did not create sin, God did create choice. He gave Adam the freedom to aim for the target or not. The moment, said God, the moment God said, don't do this, Kata was crouching at the door, ready to pounce. You see, parents, if you never tell your kids what to do, they can never disobey you. If you never tell them what to do or what not to do, they can do no wrong. But the moment you say, don't do this or do this, you've now created a target that it's on them to either hit the mark or miss the mark. For God to say, don't do this, it means Adam had a choice. He had free will. Now, we could go into a whole tangent about free will, and we won't do that today, but I'll give you just one verse. I think it makes it pretty clear. Joshua 24, 15. But if, you, if it doesn't please you to worship God, Yahweh, then choose, choose for yourself today the one you will worship. You can worship the gods of your fathers beyond the Euphrates, worship the gods of the Amorites in the house in the land you're living. But as for me and my family, we will choose to worship Yahweh, the one and only God. Over and over, the Bible says, choose you this day whom you will serve. I put before you life and death. Choose life. And I promise you, God wants you to choose life. He wants you to choose him. But it is your choice. So was it really about the tree or was it something more? I would pose this thought. If God had skipped the tree... Maybe the knowledge of good and evil, the tree would never have been there. There would eventually have been something he told Adam to do or not to do, and there would have been a target with the possibility to miss. Maybe God could have said, hey, don't talk to the snake. And even that would have been a target to hit or miss. Maybe don't stick your hand in a bee's nest. Don't act out of anger towards your wife. All of these are targets that we then have a choice to hit or miss. So sin did not enter the world through a piece of fruit. Sin entered when man had the option to do things his way. Sin did not enter the world through a piece of fruit. Sin entered when man had the option to do things his way. 
In short, pride. The sin of pride is what is universal. The feeling that I can do it without you, God. I don't need your help anymore. I want to do it my way. I don't want to be told what is right and wrong. I don't want to be told that what I feel is incorrect. I don't want you to tell me what to do. That is the sin that is universal. When the Apostle Paul recounts this event in Romans 5.12, he says it like this, Therefore, just as sin, hata, entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all men, because all sinned. In fact, sin was in the world before the law even existed. But sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. You see, Paul acknowledges that all sinned. Yes, Adam was the first but he was certainly not the last. We are all guilty of pushing the creator to the side and saying, I got this. I don't want your help. I go back to the study of children and lying. We don't have to teach children to lie, but we also don't have to teach adults how to be prideful. We do it plenty well all on our own. And given the choice to do things our way, we all will inevitably miss the target. Hata. You see, in the beginning, God created a good cosmos with humans who had a good relationship with him, good relationship with one another, and a good relationship with creation. But once Hata was in the picture, crouching at the door, it disrupts every relationship, us and God, us and other humans. Pride created a broken world, and we are all guilty of that. Sin is an intruder. It was not part of God's creation. That was good. It was our pride that led us astray. Romans 7.21, Paul again describes the struggle. He says, I discover this principle. When I want to do what is good, evil is with me, crouching at the door. For in my inner self, I joyfully agree with God's law. But I see a different law in the parts of my body waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of hata, sin, in the parts of my body. Paul saying, I know what is good, I know what I want to do, but I don't do it because there is a constant struggle within me to do what is right. Many years ago, there was a famous correspondence in the Times newspaper under the subject, what is wrong with the world today? The best letter of all was also the shortest. It read, dear sir, I am. Yours faithfully, G.K. Chesterton. What is wrong with the world today? I am. You see, the Bible accurately reveals the nature of the human heart. While we are capable of love and mercy and grace, all the fruits of the Spirit, we are able to do those too. At the heart, at the core, we will deal with hata, sin crouching at the door. So if sin is truly universal, something we all must deal with, what are we to do about it? I'm glad you asked. For the final point is this. We have an answer to sin. There is an answer to sin. This is the reason why the gospel translated means good news. Because once we can truly understand the nature of sin and its universality, the gospel is then good news to everyone and to all people. 
Once we understand the weight of sin, Romans 3.23, for we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we understand the cost, Romans 6.23, the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Then it is incredibly good news to hear this. Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The blood of Christ for us. Even though sin, Hataz, crouching at the door, Christ knew we would struggle. And his death on the cross was the payment for that sin to then empower us to overcome sin and its temptation. Isaiah 53, 5, written hundreds of years before Jesus even walked the earth, says this, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his stripes, we are healed from sin. And how much more then is the glorious verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. But then to go on to verse 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. You see, he did not come to condemn and tell us, look at the sin, look at your sin. He didn't come to do that. He came to say, look at my son who has offered forgiveness for that sin. He did not come here to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God knew that we would repeatedly, over and over, reject him in favor of ourselves. And that betrayal against him would lead us down that path of misery and pain. But God put that rescue plan in motion from the beginning of time. The cost of sin is death, and each of us would have to pay that price. But instead... Jesus Christ paid that price on the cross. And not only is it the forgiveness of sins, but when we receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit then empowers us to resist hata crouching at the door. We don't have to fear it. We don't have to worry about it. As Romans 6, 6 says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. You don't have to fear hata crouching at the door, for with the power of the Holy Spirit, you are no longer enslaved to sin. So how do you receive this free gift of salvation? 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In a moment, you're gonna have the opportunity to do just that. But one last brief story. There was an atheist barber talking to the pastor. He was cutting his hair. And the barber asked the pastor, if there is a loving God, how can he allow all this poverty and war and suffering? In other words, how can God allow sin to wreak so much havoc in the world today? And just at that moment, a disheveled man crossed the street by the barber shop. And the pastor said, you're a barber. You claim to even be a good barber. How can you allow that man to go unkept and unshaven? And the barber replied, he never gave me a chance. He never gave me a chance. You see, God does not force you into his house and he does not force his way into your heart. He does not force you to pray or worship. And he does not force you to hit the target. 
But he makes this promise that when you confess him as your savior, the Holy Spirit then empowers you to hit that bullseye every time. Revelation 21.5, one of my favorite verses. The one seated on the throne who was Jesus says, look, I make everything new. He doesn't just smudge out the past. He doesn't just blur it. He doesn't use that terrible whiteout tape that never really works, let's be honest. He gives you a brand new beginning, a new start. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Amen. If you would bow your head and close your eyes with me, we're going to pray a simple prayer all together. Everyone in the room is going to pray it at all of our campuses. But if that's you and you're saying, I'm tired of hata at the door, I want to receive forgiveness and give my life to Jesus. This is your prayer too. So everyone say together, dear Jesus, forgive me. You're my savior. Come into my heart. Give me a fresh start, a new life starting today. In the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us this week on the podcast. Now is a great time to invite your friends and family to our Good Friday and Easter services. You can see all the times and locations at crossingeaster.com. We'd also love to worship with you at one of our locations this weekend. For more information, visit wearecrossing.com.